To the King, eternal, immortal, invisible. To God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The text we'll think about this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 22nd chapter, beginning with verse 39, reading this morning in the King James Version. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This is the word of God. In the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, who followed the will of his Father, all the way to Calvary's cross, dear friends in Christ. Starting guard for the basketball team sits in the locker room and sweats. One more hour, he says to himself. Sixty minutes till tip-off in the biggest game of my life. Across town, a young woman scans her notes, cramming for her final exams the next day. In 24 hours, she mutters to herself, this will all be over. Next door, a local political candidate paces the floor, worrying about the upcoming mayoral election. The election's in two days, he thinks. In 48 hours, I'll either be a winner or a loser. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had an event coming up in your life that was so important and monumental that you actually counted down the hours till it happened? then perhaps you can begin to understand what Jesus must have felt that first Monday, Thursday evening as he and his disciples left Jerusalem and headed up the Mount of Olives toward the Garden of Gethsemane. In an hour, he would be arrested. In 24 hours, he would be dead. The eternal fate of every human being rested in his hands. Let's go with him now into the Garden of Prayer where Jesus' call to prayer went unanswered and where Jesus' own prayer was answered by his heavenly Father. Every difficult experience seems to be more difficult, doesn't it, if you have to go through it alone? Perhaps that's why Jesus took three of his closest disciples with him as he entered the Garden of Gethsemane on that evening facing the most crucial hour of prayer in his life. Perhaps he felt it would be a comfort if these friends of his were praying too. So when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray pray that ye enter not into temptation. But as you know, that call of Jesus went unheeded. Three times Jesus returned from his own prayers to find his disciples not praying, but sleeping. My Christian friends, as we stand at the beginning of another Lenten season, Jesus is calling us to prayer. He's calling upon you and me to watch with him one hour. He doesn't have to remind us that the flesh is weak. We're all too aware that our sinful flesh is weak. We've skipped too many prayers, avoided our Bibles too many times, offered the Lord less than our best too frequently not to know that. 
Jesus is calling us to pray that we might overcome that flesh, especially during this Lenten season. Our Savior wants us to watch, to be alert, to wake up and pay attention because something very important is happening. Jesus is carrying out the will of his Heavenly Father. He's carrying through with the plan to save mankind, to save you and me. The disciples did not pray in the shadow of Gethsemane's trees that night, but Jesus did. Our text tells us that he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, of course, was true God and true man at the same time. At this moment on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, his powers as God allowed him to see all the forces of Satan and wickedness that would be arrayed against him and unleashed on him in the coming 18 hours. And because he was true man as well, he was afraid. A cup had been filled for Jesus, a bitter, bitter cup. It was the cup of God's wrath over the sins of the world, all the sins that had ever been committed by anyone, by you, and by me. In a very few hours, Jesus would be called upon to drink that bitter cup. So our Savior prayed three times to his Father. Each time he asked that if it were possible, he might be spared the suffering that was coming. But each time he qualified that desperate request by saying, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There was a tremendous struggle going on inside our Savior. There, under the peaceful shadow of those olive trees, the forces of darkness were lined up against the forces of light and love. God's plan of love called for Jesus' suffering and death. But Satan whispered to him, You needn't drink that bitter cup. Why should you suffer for people who were your enemies by nature, who wanted nothing to do with you? The struggle grew fierce. Have you ever experienced anxiety? Perhaps some of you have had severe anxiety, and that can be torture. Well, Jesus is your brother. He knows how you feel. He suffered tremendous anxiety there in the garden. Verse 44 tells us that Jesus, being in agony, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Finally, our Savior's prayer was answered. He put himself in his Father's hand, put his life in the hands of his Father, and his Father's will was made clear. God's will was that Jesus should die in our place so that we might live. As the chief priest Caiaphas unwittingly put it, it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people. So Jesus had the answer to his prayer. He emerged from the garden, called his disciples together, and went calmly to meet his end. In his love for us and his obedience to his Father's will, he determined to drain that cup to its last bitter drop, to carry out the will of his Heavenly Father to the end. That obedience 
that determination, that love, are qualities of our Savior that you and I will be praising for endless ages in eternity. Even as we begin once again to head down that dark road toward Calvary's cross, the road that so clearly reveals the consequences of our sins, we're reminded that there's light at the end. Yes, we're going to the cross, but the journey doesn't end there. The journey that begins in the Garden of Gethsemane will bring us to the Garden Tomb. The resurrection of our Savior on Easter Sunday assures us that his suffering was not in vain. The victory has been won. Your sins and mine have been covered by the atoning blood Jesus shed on that cross. And because of him, eternal life has been reserved as our inheritance. Jesus himself put it most simply, because I live, you shall live also. There's an old religious custom that's rather fallen by the wayside in recent years. A generation ago, people used to give up something for Lent. Give up meat, for instance, or sweets or pastry, something like that. Perhaps we should revive that custom. This year, I suggest we give up sleep for Lent. Not physical sleep, of course. Rather, let's abandon our spiritual drowsiness and be alert. Rather than giving in to the spiritual slumber of just another Lenten season, let's stay awake to watch and pray with our Savior. Rather than allowing our senses to be dulled and lulled to sleep by routine, let's follow Jesus' passion actively with personal devotions and Bible study. We'll be here every weekday morning at 10 o'clock watching with Jesus. Same thing at Messiah every weekend. Same thing every Wednesday evening for midweek Lenten services. We'll be there, alert and paying attention because something important is taking place. Our salvation is being won. Amen. We'll conclude this morning with the singing of stanza one of hymn 159.